Hello, welcome to the Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, video game reviews from the product, uh, basically differentiating or comparing video games as product versus video games as art. Before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. And this is a follow-up to, okay, so two weeks, uh, four, three... It was two uh, shows ago. What is time? Well, it, it's it's two, maybe three shows ago if we break character, and then like a couple weeks past that, because um, we had the 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 the, the other th- that weird episode on that Friday. Um, uh, True. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So whatever the case may be, in our Elden Ring episode, we brought up this idea of like the complicated nature of reviews for games and Elden Ring, right? Because obviously Elden Ring is insanely well received. People are having a very good time with the game. Um, and they think that the game is quite good, right? It is popular. People on Twitter are going nuts about it, right? Like Elden Ring is functionally a good game, right? Uh, but it is also getting reviews that reflect that. And the question becomes, in a world where the PC build of the game has stutter issues that are pretty common and widely known, everybody I have talked to um, uh, has mentioned some issues along these sorts of lines with the game, right? Uh, Does that detract from its ability to be a 10 out of a 10, you know, amazing, extraordinary stand-up game, that kind of a thing? Yep, and, you know, there's... uh... There, there, are, there are kind of uh, equivalent things for many other games as well, right? Like one that I usually harp on about is the ability to remap keybinds, which uh, Elden Ring is also terrible at, but I'm using a gamepad, so I just kind of don't notice that. Like how much, how much do we think that a reviewer is obligated to take these factors into consideration when providing a, a review? Um, I do think that there's like, this kind of started out, I think that like there's space for each outlet to kind of like uh, kind of view how much they're going to take those factors into consideration. But I think your standard kind of like, you're like, you know, I always hate to say this, but like IGN is kind of like the equivalent of what, I guess like the New York times for, for gaming journalism. Right. Like, I like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Like what other, what other comparison are you going to make here? Right. Like, um, maybe the CNN, maybe, I guess. I, I guess. Maybe, I, I don't know. Um, Did it get a 10 out of 10 on IGN? I actually don't know. That's a good point. Um, do you, like, I think some, some outlets will, like, you know, make notes for them. Some outlets will specifically review specific versions of the game. Like, this is a thing that can be important if there's differentiated content. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I got a 10 out of 10 on IGN. Wow! Yeah, look at that. Um, but yeah, so do, do you have do you have any do you have any thoughts coming out of this? Uh, yeah. So I mean, so the initial framework. Let's just to to set a baseline, right? There is this there's this idea. There's kind of two ideas. One is there's this idea of the uh, the review as consumer report, right? Where you know you are in the way that you would check check the the what is a good and a bad car right like you would check what is a good and a bad video game on on, on a very practical kind of like functional level there's that this is one philosophy of a video game review um 
another philosophy of video game review is more like a movie review, right? Where it is almost a version of art in and of itself, right? A YouTube video essay or a written review or even just, you know, like a podcast episode, right? Like some amount of that is is uh, reflecting whether or not, you know, the thing is a good or bad entertaining product, whatever. But some amount of it is also just talking about it on an artistic level, right? Um, and I think that's the real tension. If I'm coming at this from an art perspective, I'm probably going to ignore a lot of these low level functionality things because they just kind of don't matter. You know, nobody would think that it would be fair to give a bad movie review because you watched a movie in a theater with a crying baby next to you. Right. Which is kind of similar to the you know like what what happens when you're playing a game but on your specific machine it doesn't play that well right but it's also more complicated than that because part of it is like well i want a thing to work on my machine right yeah. you, 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 do you know what i mean and that's where yeah. that's where this whole thing gets really thorny i guess yeah i mean and on top of that too like you would also criticize a movie if like you had like gratuitous boom mic like clips into shots right and like you know, there are mechanical elements of films that get criticized. Like, you know, like some, some things like, say, cinematography and, like, lighting and whatnot. Like, and, like, things that are, like, some some level creative choice, but are also some level, like, technical skill, right? Like, kind of blur these lines. And they're not exactly one-to-one -one parallel, but I think there, there are parallels there. And to your point as well, right? Like, there's a kind of difference between it not performing well on my... PC, which is the one of like, you know, near infinite combination of configurations, but there's also like performance on like a console, right? Which is supposed to perform, pr provide this uniform experience, right? Like if it works well on, you know, the Xbox series X, but not the S like how much do you dock, like, you know, like how, how much do you dock a point for that? Right. Like, mm -hmm. um, I mean, this is, this is also like kind of like a, you know, a, an, and then this conversation is like, how much do we care about how good the graphics look in the first place, right? Like, how much does the visual spectacle matter? And that's something that is yeah, because it does. Movies. That is the kind of thing that people will get really angry about, right? You know, um, like clipping, clipping issues on a model. People will like go really hard about that, which which I've always found to be kind of strange. But it's just sort of like. Uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't have a, an easy sort of like one-to-one -one thing to kind of compare it to. Because at the end of the day, clipping is kind of a... Uh, it's just sort of like the nature of creating these like like character models and like animation and everything like that. And we have, in the past, kind of made... Sac you know, like we have, we have personally said, I'm fine with a low polygon model of Lara Croft or whatever. I'm willing to sort of like fill in these blanks. But at a certain point, people are kind of like unwilling to give it the benefit of that doubt, which I think is a... I don't know. It's just like uh, there's so many like complicated layers on top of this issue. Yeah. I mean, especially because like some... It's like, I don't know, like with the graphics thing in particular, right? You can see differences between where particular graphical styles and like are, are made as a choice, right? Like you can make pixel art, like, you know, pixel art indie game is like a meme at this point. Right. And, you know, you could be making a specific artistic choice to, 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 to do that level. And sometimes, and like, you know, sometimes that's also like 
like you're making that artistic choice because it is you're constrained by like your ability to to do 3D art essentially, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a tough thing to consider, and I, and I don't know. We we haven't really play, placed down any any kind of like real thoughts, but we just like kind of outlined how it, how it's difficult. Yeah, that's true. We've just kind of been drawing outline around thoughts. Okay, I guess here's my 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 thing is always going to be that I want criticism to, like, I want, like, game reviews and game criticism to be more on that art form level. Because I I, I think that it represents a, um, just sort of, uh, I don't know, it just feels like, uh, that to me feels like the underdog that I'm rooting for, in a way. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, a more technical review of the game as product boils down a lot of what that game does in a way that I don't think is complex or interesting. And I want and I want to preserve the kind of complex, interesting discussion of how mechanics, aesthetics, all of these things kind of marry together to create a whole product, right? Um, yeah. that, d- does that parse on any level? It, it does. <laughs> I, I feel like it's, it's one of those things where, like, it's got, it has to be taken into account, but, like, it has to be, but like like you know if a game won't boot right like that's like a that's like a failure right like if if you know a movie were to come out and every copy of the move like i don't know let's let's make up some like weird hypothetical where like you know the digital encoding of a particular movie caused every projector it was ever put on put on to to fucking fall over and fail right then like i think that could be a valid criticism of the movie maybe but like so, I th- I think there's kind of like a threshold. It's got to be like a threshold problem, right? Like like you know, once you're past this threshold, it's fine. That or like you know, have a space for dedica- dedicated PC reviews of, of this kind of thing, right? Like I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, Total like, used to do that. The yeah. Port Report, right? Yeah, which was a very useful piece of you know like his kind of brand and 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 his series because well, you know, the thing that makes you know just like talking on a game development level. The thing that makes developing for consoles nice is they they're they're standardized, right? You have targets to hit. Now the targets to hit are harder to hit, right? Um, it is I can, like from experience I can tell you it is harder to ship a game onto Nintendo than it is to ship a game onto Steam, right? Um, or just PC in general, DRM free, just like the PC game, right? Uh, but the reason that that is but the reason that that is harder is because Nintendo is more stringent about what goes up than what than Steam is, right? When something goes up on Nintendo, it is going to be, generally speaking, uh, put through a more rigorous ringer than when something goes up on Steam, um, where basically the only check is, is the thing malware? No. Okay, that's fine, right? Um, and I guess I feel like that makes me want to give a bit you know give a little slack give a little leeway to to these kinds of things every pc configuration is different and having to try having to run a thing on all of those pc configurations is very complicated and hard yeah i i i I agree with that but that's also kind of like the the name of the game right like Mm -hmm. um I, i feel like so so part of this too is that like you know, like I said, a lot of it seems to like work itself out in the wash, <laughs> right? Like if it, uh, 
Are you reading the chat? <laughs> yeah. Ryan, the chat says, about the video that Mango is pitching, honestly, that sounds like a weird art piece that would be highly reviewed in LA. Ah, yes. Famous indie director, director Hans Gludenberry has made a film that will blow up every projector it is put on. <laughs> Yeah, it's, like it's an art of, it's an art piece it's yeah. like when that guy signed the urinal i can't remember what that thing yeah. is called but or like there was like a guy who like stapled or not stapled taped a banana to a wall and then some other artist ate it and was like this is also art um which is like uh, well, yeah or it's like or it's like 333 which is the the musical piece that is three minutes and 33 seconds of silence yeah there's no <laughs> there's, I think there's, all, there's no music. I think there's also I think there's multiple songs of different lengths that are there. Oh yeah. Well, it's because that guy, everyone interpreted 333 in such a way, and anytime a popular interpretation like took the foreground, he released a new version of it with new rules to disprove whatever the prevailing theory is so i think that there are four or five versions of them now and they all have weird addendums to like not only is it silent but you you have to do this you have to do that etc no i would say I, i'm pretty sure that there's like i think there are like other tracks by different artists that are also like i think that i think there might be one that which is like you know also pretentious but like totally devoid from it or divorced from it rather um my favorite. My favorite is the one where the cleaning lady threw out a like several million dollar art piece because it was a pile of garbage. Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, we we can get into the absurdities of uh, of of modern art uh, forever, but um, kind of like winding back to mm -hmm. to the topic at hand. Um, I, th I think I think for the most part, most of this works itself out in the wash, right? If there's a very egregious technical error, those tend to show up in reviews, right? And I think that that's warranted, right? Like. Um, I think the, one of the more famous ones is, like, the re-release of Steel Battalion, which is supposed to, like, replace, like, that giant hundred-plus-dollar controller with motion controls just, like, didn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And that surfaced in all of, in, in all of the reviews. Um, and, and targeted console games tend to, tend to do this as well, whereas, like, you know, um, you know uh, New World, which we played. Um, had a habit of killing specific video cards. And that didn't really show up in the reviews, but it did show up in kind of like discussion around the game. Uh, and so it didn't particularly affect review scores as far as I, I could tell. Um, but Yeah, and there's also bigger problems that, that kind of echo out from this as well. So for instance, uh, okay, how do you parse a problem like that with the fact that a, a patch can be released a couple you know however long right like so you know just to put this in my terms cardboard kings released earlier this year came out in in uh january of this year day one there is an issue with with players where um you know they can they can hit a certain edge case scenario and bork their their save file right Within the day, before 24 hours have elapsed since the release of Cardboard Kings, we put out a patch that fixes that issue and unborks their saves, right? To what extent do I get, like, do we get credit for fixing the problem swiftly? And to what extent is it fair for, you know, there are probably Steam reviews, not, not even probably, I know there are Steam reviews. There are Steam reviews for people who bought the game on launch, ran into this problem, said, this game is fucked, don't buy it, right? And even though it has been fixed, and it was fixed less than a day after release, 
right? Those reviews are still up. Is that fair? Yes, no. And that's a really co complicated... How do you answer that question, right? Like, yeah. it's just really tough to parse. Yeah, I, I, I think for, like, group reviews, you can, like, introduce tools that, like, help that, right? Like, Mark, like, this is a negative review because of a technical issue, and then you, like, you know, nail that to the version that it's on, right? Yeah. Um, but from, like, a, from, like a, a review, like, um, a review outlet perspective, that's hard to deal with. Right, like especially because like they might not like those things like you might not run into by chance, right? Like, um, yep. uh, I think particularly like this isn't this isn't about like specific technical issues, but like um, very egregious thing that happened. Like, it was one of the racing games. I think it was like Forza. Um, don't quote me on this. I will feel bad if I if I slander their Forza's name with with this. But essentially, the review copy had much less like microtransactions in it, and much less of kind of like the grindy aspects in it. Um, for the review codes, and then when reviewed when launch day came, like all those systems turned on, and so like those kind of particular aspects, like the monetization aspect, which is something else we've talked about, were not part of the the review corpus because effectively, uh, the reviewers were playing a different version of the game. Um, at what level should a reviewer review a, a a kind of like game in that kind of free to play model or that or the DLC model where lots of content is locked behind uh, either a grind or or uh, lots of uh, you know, microtransactions, should they, like, you know, in some, like, League of Legends, like, you know, reviewing League of Legends would be, like, a weird thing to do, but, like, you know, I, like, there's, like, Okay, okay, the actually, there is, there, I have a weird case study for this, which is okay. Total War Warhammer 3, right? Right. I've referenced on the podcast that there was controversy about the release of Total War Warhammer 3, but I don't think I've actually ever explained it, so here we go, right? Total War Warhammer 3 is obviously an insanely hyped, huge release for the creative assembly and the burgeoning community that kind of came up around it right total war warhammer 2 was so popular that it actually hit its steam concurrent player like three years after launch on the on the release of a specific dlc there were more players playing total war warhammer 2 than there were players at launch playing total war warhammer 2 right which is a very unheard of thing especially for a game like that right as you you would expect a game like total war warhammer 2 to have a big burst in the beginning, people fall off, right? Long, but a long tail with little blips as people hit up all the DLCs kind of like later down the line. Here's the crazy thing that happened with the launch of Warhammer 3. People are coming into Warhammer 3 hot off the heels of that hot, hot on the heels of that long that long tail, right? I have been playing Total War Warhammer 2 uh, for the intervening uh three four years right since the release of total war warhammer 2 um and it is functioning as a games as service model for me every couple of months there's a new content patch that new content patch has a new legendary lord a bunch of new units a bunch of whatever right maybe it has a faction or something like that right that's kind of the world that, that they're living in right but when total war warhammer 3 releases it is reviewed in the way the total war warhammer 1 and 2 were released right which is just this is a game it's going to fill maybe 50 or 100 hours of your time and is it a good or bad version of that right uh, Total War Warhammer 3 gets very, very good reviews, right? People are, people are enjoying it out of the box. This is the first, like, week or two. Then, underneath the surface, this kind of, uh, 
I don't want to call it like outrage. Like I do think outrage is a piece of it, but this it's it's not really defined by outrage. This sort of undercurrent of the games as service players are now saying, well, Total War Warhammer 3 is really frustrating and I don't like it. And here's the reason why, right? And they essentially outline how a bunch of new features that are in Total War Warhammer 3 don't are, are kind of preventing them from playing the game in the way that they want to, right? They want to paint the map red and Warhammer 3 has a bunch of kind of friction points pre preventing that from happening. The One of the biggest Total War Warhammer YouTubers who plays the game as it is a service, you know, he has put 13,000 hours into Total War Warhammer 2, right? He is the kind of person who is releasing all of these, um, you know, releasing Warhammer 2 videos constantly over the course of these years. He's releasing speculation videos about what the next DLC, right? He goes on his stream and he says that he regrets a bunch of stuff he said in his initial review because he was bothered by all of these mechanics that were underlying whatever, but at the time he just sort of felt like it was unfair to criticize the long-term fun of those mechanics. Right? So the question in this situation is, was the guy's name is legend of total war was legend of total war correct to review the game as a hundred hour experience, right? That somebody would play at the end of, you know, at the end of February, they would get, they would, get a certain amount of enjoyment from and move on from right or should he reviewed the should he review the game looking forward to it as a 15,000 hour experience supported by all this DLC and expansion packs and stuff like later down the line that there is a real community that is asking for that kind of that is asking for that kind of review and once again i don't think that there's a clear answer right like basically Total War is simultaneously those two products because yep. depending on what kind of a player you are, you're going to get hit by it in a in a different way, right? Um, and I, the, the, it's just it's impossible to sort of uh, to sort of answer that. Though at the time, I also just want to say, for the record, I'm using this as a case study, but I also sort of think Legend of Total War is wrong because part of Legends of Total War's thing is just like weird. I don't know, like gamer outrage stuff that I that I don't that I don't really agree with, right? So this is a an interesting case study, but I'm I'm not trying to pick a pick a side, and I kind of disagree with uh, with some of the ways that he's talked about the title and about the way that he revisited that review. Yeah, no, I so that that, that that's interesting because like like you said, it, it's kind of hard to say what the what the correct way to approach that is, and like what like even the right frame there is like you know. Is, is the 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 right, like you know, the, I think it's kind of unfair at some level to say like we have to evaluate Total Warhammer three on Total Warhammer two's terms, right? Yeah. Um, or you know, like this also happens in fighting games, right? Street Fighter five, Street Fighter six got announced recently, but when Street Fighter five came out, it obviously had a much smaller roster than Street Fighter four at the end of its life cycle. Um, mm -hmm. It's because it was a new game and they were resetting everything. Um, in addition to kind of like. I think the systems kind of changed a little bit more between like fighting games and then uh, fighting games entries than I think between Total War and Total Warhammer Three, just because like it's not trying to it's like the fighting games kind of reinvent themselves a little bit with each iteration, but um, you know there are people who still go back and play like Street Fighter Two, right? Like, are we supposed to evaluate Street Fighter Six on Street Fighter Two's metrics? But um, and, you know, I don't. Know. I I think this maybe speaks to kind of the 
the the benefit of living in kind of this information age, right? Where we're, we're you know mm-hmm. we're all we're all kind of fractured, but like you can go find your whole like you can find a reviewer that that matches your taste. If you want someone who just talks about theming, you can find somebody who do, who does that, right? If you want to find somebody who talks primarily about mechanics, then like there's like Boomstick Gaming, right? Who is a he's a guy who came to some prominence. Um, uh, some somebody at like I think it was Polygon basically copied one of his reviews kind of word for word. Um, wow! Really, he was like this was a big story when it happened, right? And okay, uh, and he got caught, and so like I got pushed to to, to Boomstick at that point, and it was uh, I think it was a review of Dead Cells. Um, okay, but uh, but like Boomstick's the whole thing is like he focuses primarily on mechanics, and he is very mm-hmm. upfront about that. Like this is this is the style of review I, I provide. If you'd like to see that, come here for that. Um, and I, I think similarly, right, like Total Biscuit with the port report. I love those port reports because I primarily pay, play on PC. Um, God yep, rest, me too. God rest his soul. Um, and I, I, I think there are people who are probably filling that filling that role at, at uh, various points in time. Um, but uh, having that that diversity of, of kind of expression, because because you know the major gaming publications, right, like are putting out a lot more um, opinion pieces that don't have a score attached to them, right? Like I think. Polygon doesn't do scores anymore, if I'm correct, or one of the major outlets doesn't do scores anymore. Um, Polygon or Kotaku, uh, and like, so, and then like, you know, Kotaku will have opinion pieces alongside that, that are not the that are not reviews per se, but like, you know, have something to say about the game, right? Like, um, yeah, and I, and I like those opinion pieces, and I think if someone is going to convince me that product reviews are the right way to approach video game reviews, right? I think the the steel man version of that case might be pointing to those opinion pieces um, and to things like uh, the Tokimeki Memorial review that um, Tim, Tim, what is his name? What, what is God, what is his name? <laughs> this is killing me. Uh, uh, action button. His, yeah, it's action, it's action button. I'm trying to think of his name, but action button reviews is the thing, right? Uh, the stuff that Aaron Signo does, I've plugged him on the podcast before. Noah Caldwell Gervais uh, does reviews like these. Tim Rogers. Uh, Tim Rogers, yeah. yeah. H-Bomber guy put out, you know, he just put out a three and a half hour video about uh, Deus Ex, you know, human revolution. Uh, and almost all of those are very long, long in the, in the rear view mirror retrospectives, right? No one is really putting out these sorts of high-end... Uh, reviews of games right on top of their release, right? It comes out a couple months after. And the same thing is true kind of for other stuff too, right? Like the best video essays that are about, uh, you know, like recent, ooh, excuse me, that are about like recent movies tend to come a couple of weeks after those movies have come out. Uh, I've come out on Blu-ray actually, right? So a couple of months after they have come out in theaters. It's, it's kind of rare and not all that common for something to be out in theaters and you to have hour-long video essays discussing that you know like discussing that thing as kind of a piece of criticism right and so if we posit that the best place to perform review as criticism as art right is a couple of months after release where you can really digest the thing you can see the full experience right um you know you can examine the context in which it came out kind of with uh, with the benefit of some hindsight and some perspective right um it makes sense to say those don't have to happen at launch and therefore the reviews that do come out at launch should be product reviews like in like in IGN or whatever else right is this game worth it to buy right now yes no 
a lot of function or a lot of you know attention is paid to technical uh issues and problems that may or may not exist yep yeah and on top of that like you can i so i, I think it's like i'm thinking about this in the, in the in kind of like the in the movie sense as well as, as you highlighted yeah. right like but like on the other hand i am never like i don't care how many years down the line I'm not going to go back and say that Morbius is like a hidden gem, right? Like, I, like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got me. That's true. <laughs> um, or like, you know, even, even if there is a, if, even if like, you know, maybe, maybe to, 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 you know, give a stronger case, right? Like in a couple of months after the Morbius Blu-ray comes out, somebody sits down and says, this is exactly the things that went wrong with Morbius and why it doesn't work in kind of excruciating detail. I think there's a place for that that's valuable. There's also a place for kind of like an off-the-cuff kind of like, Morbius does these basic things bad that I can tell like a first path without watching it three times, right? Yeah. Like, and the same thing, like, you know, and weirdly that's almost kind of like evaluating like like doing art criticism as a product review in like a in like a way right like the kind of like high level kind of like even if you don't care about like you know essentially like evaluate like like technical i want to call almost call it like technical implementation of artistic stuff right this is this is kind of like in some ways you know my my earlier thoughts about the cinematography and like you know very basic stuff like keeping boom mics out of shots right but also kind of like you know I can talk about how well I thought certain themes were implemented and how smoothly they flowed without being jarring, without necessarily going into a deep exploration of those themes um, and, and kind of like, or, or like judgments on like what those themes are, right? Like um, this, is, this, is, this is even like, this is like a, kind of a, a hard thing to do, right? Like um, uh, in the first place, it's like, you know, a theme that I think is well executed, but I don't agree with kind of like the conclusions of is is kind of a thing that exists in uh, as a piece of art criticism in in, in general right like this is i don't know it, it's funny because this I, is I, like soul is a pro-life movie kind of thing right yeah like thematically speaking soul is about the a person who has not yet been born who is essentially on equal footing as another person who is in the middle of his life right uh and i'm not a pro life person i'm i'm a pro choice person and i would disagree if i mean th that's complicated it's so yeah. complicated i can't even really like form the thought but like yes that is definitely a thing right yeah yeah or like i don't know what's the other like you know like um Bioshock, right? Like Bioshock is like the you know the, the one that famously famously has like you know this is a criticism of Ayn Rand, right? Like 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 you know like you know nailed into your fucking forehead, right? Like yep. Um, uh, and it's you know it's 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 love for it, but like you know it's uh, I don't know. That's it's 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 all. How much? How much? How much should I? reviewer take any any of like because there's, there's also versions of that where like you know there there are like play play in the joint there right like you know uh your example or or the bioshock example right like these are things that like people will like you know can maybe separate themselves out from the message of right but like you know that's also not going to apply in the same way to something like uh what's like triumph of the will right like like you know like a, yeah. a piece of like pure um kind of like racist propaganda right like it's not going to you know you know like I suppose you could sit there and evaluate it on like like that 
Very like what was um Birth of a Nation was like famously like what was important because of the cinema cinema the cinema cinema. It was the first blockbuster, right? There we go. Thank you. It pioneered. I mean, I hate this. I hate Birth of a Nation. I watched it in college. It was fucking dumb. Colleges, by the way, are stopping this from happening, right? It was was very common when I was in school and before, right, that you would watch Birth of a Nation and then your film professor would go, don't you see that it uses editing from the Kuleshov effect and this and that or whatever? It's really hateful and bad. It's really bad. It's really hateful. But, wow, look at it do all of this, you know basic film technique stuff uh that has sort of been dropped of of late mostly because it's just sort of bad history triumph of the will wasn't the first i'm sorry not triumph of the will uh birth of a nation was not the first place that a lot of this stuff happened it was just the first blockbuster right it was the first movie that was pop that popularized it right but there's actually a lot of stuff equally problematic and weird and bad or whatever uh that did it before birth of a nation did right uh, but anyway, yeah, that movie is just on its face a racist, hateful movie that is oh, oh boy, real bad, real bad. Oh, Arahe in the chat did not actually watch it films for a good job. I'm I, proud of you. For, I have for, also for skipping that bad boy. I have also never watched Birth of a Nation, and I have never been to film school, so I think I'm winning on both fronts. Yeah, I mean, Birth of a Nation also fucking sucks. It is <laughs> like long, and it is not. I mean, this is true for a lot of those old movies. Some of yeah. them are actually kind of bangers, um, especially in the uh, especially in the days of the Hayes Code, because there's just like a lot of cool. I don't know. I've talked before about how there's this weird golden age of cinema that is happening under a very intense, like, censorship and how that made films more clever and interesting because they are they're dodging, you know, they're, they're bobbing and weaving under the censors, right? Um, but uh, but the, Birth of a Nation is not one of those movies. It is a slog. It is unfun and it is like three it might be three and a half hours it's really long yeah i mean hey so was so was seven samurai right which is a movie we we have talked about at length yeah exactly and seven samurai right you know it flows in just like a completely different way even even you know Zack snyder's justice league we talked about this where the movie is twice as long as it's the is the theatrical version but it's so much more watchable um and there's that there's that kind of like magic to the whole thing anyway i don't remember how we got onto this point but uh yeah uh yeah. birth of a nation is is, is a very hateful movie <laughs> on its face yeah and so uh, kind of in that in that vein right like uh, games are, like they are in many other ways, kind of an extension of cinema in that, like, you're layering on these other layers of things that, that like, theoretically, uh, we did a whole episode on Seven Samurai Arahe. Uh, true fans will know. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, we did, we actually have done several episodes on Seven Samurai in spirit because we watched The Magnificent yeah, functionally Seven. speaking. Right, because The Magnificent <laughs> episode was, like, a review of, like, the entire history of that, like, version of movie. But anyway... Um, video games have added on this kind of like extra layer of like things that need to be contained within the like within the review of the movie, right? That like or review of the of the of the piece of art that are not the, directly like the message of the art, right? Like you've got gameplay, right? You've got mechanics, you've got technical performance, you've got um, what well, like you've got like kind of like graphics, right? Like you know. Uh, which, you know, in some ways also applies to the movie, right? Like, I, I was thinking, like, I, I haven't watched UHF in a while. I was thinking about going back and watching it, the uh, the, the Weird Al movie. Um, Hell yeah. I have the Blu-ray of it just on the other side of the green screen. Um, 
but that movie has some like CG music videos and they look terrible. Um, I mean, it's kind of fine because like it's not supposed to be like you know like it, like it, it it fits the style, but like um, there are like I don't know, like like going back and watching Toy Story, it doesn't look bad, but like you it, it's noticeably dated, right? Like and, and yeah. Um, no, yeah. yeah, this is something that people talk about in in like Wow all the time, right? Is you know you'll have super high res models from whatever the current expansion is, and super low res models from you know stuff that's in the classic vanilla era, right? Like if I'm leveling, and if, if I walk out of Stormwind, there's stuff in Stormwind that was put in Stormwind in BFA and Shadowlands that is like incredibly well textured well done art just because we have way more processing power and ram to work with right and then you walk down to goldshire and you have this like blocky tree you know or this like little prairie dog that is like four polygons right like right right next to you and it's like that that's that you know like that that's something that that can live side by side um and because it's all in the same sort of overarching aesthetic it it works to whatever extent yeah I, a thought just popped into my mind, like, will we live to see, like, a remaster of Toy Story 1, right? Like, um, like Oh, my the, God. Like, I didn't even think about that. Because this is the thing that games do all the time now, right? Like, we're, like, you know, update the game for current technology. Because, like, I, th that is obviously more a concern with, um, with games than it is with, with movies. But, like, I feel like, I feel like there would be, like, a lot of pushback against that. Um, in, a way, in a way. Although, I guess, like, the, the earliest version we got of that was the Star Wars Special Editions, right? Like couple rounds of it um yeah and i'm on record that i like a lot of the change you know like yeah i mean we, we talked about this in our in in some of our star wars episodes right but like um to me the star wars special editions are mostly good it's just that they have a couple of very egregious problems that are yes laughably egregious and bad but like people hate the thing that people hate the star wars special editions for um are for those things that like that stick out like a sore thumb right, right? it is not for the things that like Oh, this shot is made better and more beautiful because they had a chance to change whatever the background was. Uh, Arahi says, "I'm sure after live action Toy Story they'll do a remaster." Which that's going to be the most cursed fucking thing. Could you imagine a live action Toy Story? <laughs> a live action Toy Story with Tom Hanks and Tim Allen playing Buzz oh Lightyear. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, Chris Evans is going to be Buzz Lightyear in the. In the new Lightyear movie, maybe they'll recast Buzz Lightyear to be Chris Evans instead of Tim Allen. Wait, really? I mean, I, I, I I've seen the, the the Lightyear trailer, but I didn't realize they were. Um, I've heard several. So this this is a very tangent thing, but I've heard several people describe Lightyear as a prequel to Toy Story. It's just like a like a uh, what's it called a uh, like it. It is taking the the light this Buzz Lightyear mythos seriously, as far as I understand. Right, right? but but it is like it is is it is almost as if it were a movie within the Toy Story universe, right? Like you could, yeah. Um, it is it is not supposed to be like a thing like a like a true prequel to Toy Story. That would be very weird. Um, yep. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, I I actually so I seeing the trailer, I just think that that's like kind of amazing, right? That like you know this thing that is a a piece of like fiction inside of a inside of a movie is become is becoming like its own piece of fiction for the second time right like there was like a lightyear cartoon uh, yeah there was the buzz lightyear cartoon that i have watched a lot of and i'm wondering how much of lore from that cartoon is going to stick around oh, my God. guessing is my guess is very little but who knows oh man i want to see like 
I want to see like a, a deep lore discussion of like the different the timelines in the Lightyear universe. The Light serious lore analysis, yeah. Of the Lightyear cinematic universe. <laughs> I mean, I don't even is Commander Zerg gonna be in it, right? Like, Commander yeah, I think Zerg I think he was like, in the trailers. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, because you know, like you know, I mean, theoretically, like Pixar has like cross references in all of its movies, right? Like theoretically, it could be <laughs> there could be a Pixar cinematic universe, which would be yeah. I mean, the thing about the Lightyear trailer, I remember when I when I first watched it was it was weird how not cartoony it was, right? In the sense that like. It looks like a real like they're playing it straight. Yeah, like the, yeah, and there's just so much to the animation that's very like grounded and lived in and not you know like cartoons polish off that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, which is just weird and interesting. Yeah, especially because like it definitely has that feel. Although it definitely also has like like Buzz Lightyear looks like Buzz Lightyear and not in kind of yeah. like like you know this like you know this isn't a reimagining. It looks like Buzz Lightyear, including like the weird. Chin swirly thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, his little, his little, like butt chin. Yeah, um, I don't know, uh, but yeah, bring it back to to video game reviews, I guess. Um, I don't know. I feel like we, we haven't actually said a lot about like how, how to actually do this because honestly, I, we basically have just discussed the problem and then avoided saying anything more specifically about about it. It feels like yeah. So so like. You know, this is, this is an interesting question, right? Like, you know, I famously, if I can't do put in the, the configuration that I want to be able to control the game, I won't play the game, right? Like, yeah. um, and that's a, that's a hard stop for me. Um, uh, but that's also not like a necessarily a common thing that goes into re to, to, to the review of a review of a game. Um, do, do you have any kind of like hard limits in, in any of these aspects there, right? Like, um, man, I don't know. There's there's an interesting. Huh. So, to describe a problem that has that has happened to me in Elder or in Elden Ring, I wonder if this counts. Okay, so I basically have quit Elden Ring at this point um, because I got so frustrated with one boss fight. Do you know about Volcano Manor? Uh, are you talking about the? Uh, I I have I teleported there from underneath because you got sucked into the guy. Yeah, 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 and you died in there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that that is also true of me. I was in the academy, I got sucked into one of those guys, and I died. And if you die when you get sucked into one of those guys, you go to the bo the bottom of Volcano It's a specific Manor. one. Like, there's that, like, I actually knew that was going to happen because an NPC tipped me off to it, or like a note tipped me off to it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that's that one specifically that does that. Huh, I yeah. did not know that. But whatever the case may be, uh, I, I then went through and I did the thing... I kept falling down like these shafts until I found a point of grace and uh and then I I fell down another shaft and there's two of those guys and, th and this is a boss fight, right? And to me, this boss fight is bullshit. Uh, because the only thing it tests is my ability to control the camera, basically, right? As long as I can see the two guys, I'm fine, basically, right? Um, but the way the camera works in Elden Ring is so finicky and so hard to maneuver. And this room is so hard to maneuver that it just felt to me like the entire difficulty of this was just, can you control the camera well enough to 
just see the guy, the guys appropriately, right? Um, and I decided that was bullshit, and I don't care, and that's dumb, and I'm just not dealing with it. And so I just stopped. I, I, I couldn't figure out. At first, I tried to leave, and I couldn't figure out a way to get out of this position. And I was like, I guess I have to beat this boss to go forward. I couldn't teleport out. I couldn't figure like maybe there's a hallway to leave and i was just like i was so frustrated with that whole interaction that i was just like you know what fuck it i don't need to worry about this and i basically like put the game down entirely and i do think that there is a that is a process i've, I've gone through before where i've hit a point in a game where it feels like there's no way forward and i just don't and i'm just uninterested in figuring out how to like how to progress right like i uh, theoretically i could do another thing with tree sentinel where i go and i do this boss fight for four and a half hours over multiple days of attempts and i eventually get kind of get through there but the thing about tree sentinel was it felt like it was testing skills that i felt like were fair to test right can i dodge appropriately can i exploit good interactions you know it, against tree sentinel to open him up to powerful attacks etc um, because this boss fight seems to just revolve around maneuvering the finicky camera of Elden Ring, I just felt like that was not, like, that's not a fun boss fight to do essentially progression on, right? Um, and so that suggests that yes, the, the, the answer to that is yes, but maybe it's context-based because what are the fair things to test and what are the unfair things to test is a... Is a, is, a, is a conversation and a discussion that is like not as cut and dry as you know the the mechan the the keybinds aren't like opening the game up for me yeah no i mean i i think that's fair i also hated that boss fight i managed to beat it after a number of tries and i didn't have as many problems with the camera as much as i did with kind of like legibility of attacks like the the grab attack like behaves weirdly when they're next to each other um yeah oh yeah and then you know like they will clip through each other yeah. so i can be looking at one of them but then the scythe will come through the model of the other it's like i don't know i just hated all of that yeah no i i agree um and do you do you i assume you found the site of grace right you, you weren't just running from the beginning the whole time no yeah 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 there's a site of grace okay. right that's where i am locked essentially i could not figure out I, I i i my first instinct was just to leave i was like i don't want to do this boss fight okay and then I just looked all around the room. There didn't seem to be any other openings or, like, nooks or crannies that I missed. And because I'm in this dungeon, I can't teleport out. So I was just like, I'm like, where do I fucking go? Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's a way to get around that. Because, like, I, I was considered, like, you know, I, I, basically, I basically did it in, like, this happens occasionally, which I don't like. But, like, I don't like some of these, like, I find the multi-member boss fights to be a lot harder um, just because, like, you know, I, partly it's the way I'm playing, but also, like, it's just, like, more bodies is much harder to deal with an Elden Ring than, than more, than, you know, like, bigger enemies. But, like, the way it usually works out for me with, with some of these multi-fights is I have to get a run where my my summon happens to hold the attention of one of the members for long enough for me to deal with the other one. Um, oh, yeah, that's true. Maybe this is where I will finally break my no summons theory and actually engage with with it you know like i i haven't wanted to do summons because i just kind of like the idea of fighting a boss fight you know sort of like one-on-one -on -one. um like I, I don't you know i think there are people who, th who think of like summons as like cheese or whatever and yeah i think that's unfair but yeah 
Yeah, no, that I, is definitely uh, maybe maybe a way to kind of get past it. Because otherwise, I've been having a pretty okay time with Elden Ring, right? Like, it's not my favorite thing, but I do have the itch to to, to sort of like get on and do it. Um, and uh, and it just it was insane to me how much that boss just destroyed my desire to play. No, hey, right? no, and, like, and this is this is the thing. Like, there there is generally at least once per game a boss that sucks in in these dark in these Dark Souls games, and in um, and Elden Ring is is unique in that in most of those games, you can't just go somewhere else, right? Like you have to like, yeah. you know, like it, they're, they're relatively linear. Um, uh, although that's like, you know, like uh, when I was first learning these games, I spent like hours um, in Bloodborne on Father Gascoigne um, just because, um, you know, I, I couldn't beat it and that was tough. But that was also like, that was kind of like the good difficulty, right? There's like the tree, tree step yeah. difficulty. And he's like, Father Gascoigne isn't, isn't bullshit, but like, um, uh, there are like enemies that that suck, right? Um, and so, like, how much how much of that is a deal breaker? Like, you know, you know, this is kind of like uh, your your thoughts about Mass Effect Three, right? Like, if the ending's bad, does that ruin the rest of the game, which is which is good? And I, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I explained this. You know, I I made a big Reddit comment the other day. Um, so obviously the Sylvanas novel is out. You know we've we've ended patch nine point two story progression or whatever. We're sort of in the rear view of most of Shadowlands story, right? Every everybody basically expects uh, that nine point two point five will have some a little bit of story content, but you know mostly we are kind of like looking forward from here. And I described the Toronto Whisperwind Night Fae, you know. Um, storyline right with the with the night warrior as the best writing that wow has ever done right which is a, a crazy thing to say because everybody fucking hates shadowlands right uh that the idea that the best writing in warcraft history is in is in shadowlands is kind of nuts and so somebody responded to me and they were like like what, what is your argument for that and i basically lined out how um the Tyrande storyline is really thematically complex because she is essentially going she is the sylvanas to sylvanas's arthas right in the same way that the story in shadowlands relates sylvanas to arthas she is a woman who has become so corrupted by her obsession with vengeance that she has become the thing that she sought vengeance against right um Tyrande is in the position that sylvanas was in right and she is now succumbing to her own corruption to vengeance or obsession with vengeance uh against sylvanas herself and that's literalized through like the night fae or through the night warrior power, and I just kind of laid laid out how that's really probably the the most thematically and and richest story that Warcraft has ever even attempted. Right? You know, um, mostly Warcraft stories are much more linear and much more straightforward than that. Right? In Mists of Pandaria, Vol'jin and Garrosh hate each other in the beginning and hate each other. You know, like nobody really has a character arc through that. It's just that it is difficult to take down the raid boss in story terms that is Garrosh Hellstream, right? There isn't any kind of like change or growth necessary for that compared to Taronda, who does legitimately have to sort of like change and grow, right? Taronda wants vengeance, but in order to get the justice that she needs to resolve, right? Like the, the, the anger that she feels towards Sylvanas, she actually needs to give up her obsession with vengeance in order to get that as we, you know, would later see because she's the one who, condemns sylvanas to the maw at the end of the you know at the end of shadowlands story or whatever right and so i laid i laid all of that out and somebody came back and kind of pointed at problems right in the in the thing that i was kind of like laying out um 
And I just kind of said, and, and this is something I've said on the podcast before, right? Which is that something can be the best without being perfect, right? Because in the same way that like a high schooler who passes uh, a, the AP English test with a four out of five, right? Is doing harder, better, higher quality work than a second grader who gets a perfect score on a book report. Right. They are both being essentially tested on the exact same sort of set of skills in terms of, you know, reading comprehension and, you know, an ability to sort of craft arguments about a piece of literature. But because the the AP test is so much more demanding of the high school senior than the second grader is then the book report is demanding of the second grader. It is therefore higher quality stuff, right? Even if it is sort of imperfect. Um, and that I think is an underpinning philosophy that I have that not a lot of people would necessarily agree with, right? You know, we would, even though Arthas, for instance, has a simpler arc than Taronda and is that his story in Warcraft three is a much simpler, more straightforward story, right? Um, because it doesn't have as many, you know, like holes or things you'd fix or change or, you know, improve, you know, something you would change to make it better, right? That makes it a better story. And I think that that's kind of like a real sort of kind of question to, for individual people when it comes to these sorts of reviews, right? Is it more important that the thing be kind of holistically perfect and above reproach? Or is it more important for it to be, you know, trying its hardest, right? Doing the most that it can, offering you the most with its premise, right? Um, and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, this is this thing you talk about a lot, right? Like, well, does it shoot for the moon or whatever? Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's like, that's, that's an interesting point with this kind of stuff too, right? Like, you know, every, um, uh, I'm going to use the, the zero punctuation term for it, which just because I don't have a better word for for this style of game. He calls it like Jiminy Cockthroat, which is kind of like this open world crafting systems. You know, every Ubi game plus Horizon plus like, you know, um, you know, in the kind of that vein of which like Elden Ring and like say Breath of the Wild are kind of adjacent to, but not quite like, you know, every one of those games like, you know, probably has a lot more technical merit to it than Elden Ring does. Right, like they, mm -hmm. they look prettier, um, and they're probably a lot smoother executing. Right, like the Assassin's Creed games that that we've played have been pretty well executed. Right, like um, uh, it's been interesting to follow like Call of Duty games, which are not that, but like they're 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 their own style of kind of like very formulaic game. Because like every one of those games, um, kind of like does mostly the same thing, and then like every couple of years the press collectively will kind of decide that this one was the one that was like too similar to the last one. And so it's bad, which doesn't like make, like make a ton of sense. Yeah. And there's, and there's a real thing about like, what are the improvements that matter? So like to go back to total Warhammer three for a second, um, it was interesting because in, there was a time when the total war subreddit was really up in arms about this, Anger, the right that I that I was sort of talking about, where every post was about how much the chaos realms sucked, how much the rifts sucked, you know, like and all this other sort of stuff, right? And then one day the top post was like, I hate Total War Warhammer three, but I can't go back to Total War Warhammer two, and the, and the guy basically describes, you know, 
he's having the same sorts of issues and frustrations with Total War Warhammer 3 that everyone else is, right? And so he was like, well, I hate this shit. Let me go back to the game that I loved, Total War Warhammer 2. But he goes back to Total War Warhammer 2, which has the old versions of the siege battles, right? Which are all the same. You know, you just kind of attack the wall. You have these like open land battles or whatever, and uh, and you know you have uh, you have much more lockdown rosters. Total War Warhammer Three has much better diplomacy options, for instance, and there's there's a lot of interactions with um, uh, uh, alliances, right? And he was basically like, and I can't go, I can't do it anymore, right? I want to go back and I want to play a Skaven campaign, but because the the improvements that came in Warhammer Three were so good, even if it also introduces a bunch of mechanics that are really pissing me off i'm now in this position where i just kind of can't play a total war game and i think that that is a really interesting sort of uh uh especially in these in these very very long running um series uh like like total war destiny wow you know like any any of the live service hey, and, games right any of the paradox yeah. games right like whenever eu5 oh, comes yeah. out it's not going to have all the dlc of eu4 right yeah. like and you know like i can't go back to ck2 Right, like mm -hmm. even though it's it's you know it's it's you know to be fair to Paradox, I think they do a better job than most companies in like you know putting enough of the things that happened in the previous game and not selling them as DLC in the in the next game. But there's still some of that, right? Like CK2 is a little bit, I'd say, much more feature complete than CK3. But I'm not gonna go back to that. There's like there's there's too much too much quality of life improvement. The, right? uh, this has literally happened to me with Europa Universalis, which I used to say was the best strategy game I had ever played because it just had these insanely complicated systems, right? And I spent <laughs> literal hours of my life that I will never get back, right? learning the ins and outs because the thing that really appealed to me to that game was colonization and trade right it was so fun to go colonize the new world right and dominate these trade nodes and and exert all this trade power and protect your trade power as it as it goes across the sea and i was like oh well you know there's there's the trade power that collects in uh what is the Gibraltar? There's the trade node that collects in Rotterdam. There's a trading, you know, like whatever. And I learned all of those mechanics. And then I went back to the game and they had rewritten the rules on trade. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this again. You, know, you, you can't, you can't get me again. And so like, yeah, it's a, that is a that is a real problem that and no movie will ever have to face that, right? No TV show will ever really have to face that because like when does when does a TV show patch, right? You know what I mean? Like I mean, I don't know. I think I think I think it can in like a different way, right? Like how good was Game of Thrones until the last seasons? Oh, the, you know that is actually really interesting. Especially because the end of Game of Thrones retroactively ruins the rest of the series right i i i'm i'm that guy i i've never gone back to i used to watch game of thrones every year like start to back right i would do a full rewatch of the whole series in preparation for the next season's release and i loved that experience i loved that experience going into season eight because i was a defender of it right um and the ending was just so awful that it completely wiped it out for me yeah i mean i think this is less permanent but i haven't i don't think i've watched star wars since rise of skywalker came out i also haven't watched star wars since rise of skywalker which is actually kind of nuts to be honest with yeah you. no i mean uh, especially especially given that like the sequel series are very easily divorceable from like 
the six previous films, right? Like all, all yeah. each three, each trilogy is relatively divorceable, um, especially the you know in chronological order. The, the one yeah, like there is our mythical Mandalorian season two episode, which we're almost at the Mandalorian season three at this point. It feels yeah, like yeah. right, we're coming up on. I guess the Boba Fett, not not Boba Fett. The Boba Fett actually came out. Book Jesus Christ! Fett, I guess yeah. the Obi Wan is coming out next. Yeah, right? yeah. Wow! Holy shit! What a world! Yeah, right. But yeah, that absolutely is true. And it's funny because the opposite is also true, right? You know, um, uh, a YouTuber named Taliesin, the Taliesin Evatel. He's like a Wow YouTuber. He talked about how he retroactively likes the story of Shadowlands more because it stuck the landing, right? Because it ended in a way that was that was satisfying and complete and, you know, it may it it actually kind of put a bow on things in a way that people found to be satisfying. And you know, like and part of that is a unique thing to WoW, which is that people are constantly predicting the future in that game and they are also very cynical and predicting the worst future possible right so when the game does it well that's a surprise and that feels good but it's definitely got that effect of like oh my god actually i was kind of not really sold on this series of events but now i sort of am and i am i am retroactively kind of brought back into the series as a whole because it had a really good whatever season right yeah i mean just it's the it's it's a matter of like get it holding on to, to that point right like um but yeah honestly that also happened to me with game of thrones right because season five of game of thrones was famously uh very wonky and oh man is season five had hard home right i don't know i i watched all at once uh, as you might yeah know okay yeah, yeah 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 so yeah so season five was very rough and people really hated season five of game of thrones but then hard home came out which is the episode where you know like john snow goes and he rescues a bunch of um like wildlings and he's fight, you know, like they're fighting the white walkers or whatever and that episode is so fucking good that it like retroactively got people back on board with the you know like with the rest of the season um i think i even said as much in our big game of thrones review right like i talked about how it's really hard for me to hate season five because hard home is like if not the single best episode of game of thrones one of the you know like all-time bangers yeah no it's I don't know. It's it's, it's weird, right? Because like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this and like, I pretty famously dislike anything that tries to do a sequel stuff to Watchmen, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I was not a, like I was not a huge fan of the TV series. Um, I was not. A, I'm not like just because of like my my thoughts about like how Watchmen ends. But that doesn't keep me from like going back and occasionally reading Watchmen or rewatching the the Zack Snyder movie, right? Like. I don't have those same feelings, but I definitely have those feelings in other places. I, I guess maybe it's like the directness of the connection. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I was really going apeshit for Watchmen 2 because of the one episode that I thought was absolutely, like, insanely good, right? When she finds out that Hooded Justice, you know, you find out that Hooded Justice is like this gay black guy who, and the reason he has that noose is because he was almost lynched as a police officer or whatever. Um, like, that episode of Watchmen was transcendentally amazing, right? And it all just kind of got pissed away because the ending sucked. I yeah. haven't thought about Watchmen basically ever since. Right? Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, but I, but that doesn't like that doesn't keep me from disliking or from that doesn't keep me from liking like the original Watchmen. Maybe that's like I don't know. I don't know why that works for me for Watchmen, but not for Star Wars, right? Like, and I, I feel like Star Wars may eventually fade. Like, I don't know. 
I don't know. I, I, I sort of think that Star Wars and I are on a break, but we're going to end up getting back together. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, like, I'm going to drunkenly text Star Wars one night, and, and we're going to have, and we're going to get together, and I'm going to have a pretty good time, and I'm going to be like, all right, it, all right, whatever. Yeah, I still, That was a rough patch. Well, let's just not talk about it. <laughs> I still have my Star Wars wallet. I still have my R2-D2 stuff. I do want to do a rewatch. We, we famously did rewatches of... Uh, the uh, the Rise uh, no 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 uh, Last Jedi like yeah. a, it was like a year later we did an episode that it's like the Last Jedi one year later and I do sort of want to do that for Rise of Skywalker though it would be Rise of Skywalker like four years later at this point, um, but also I also just don't want to watch the movie again. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, oi oi. All right, well we're we're an hour past. The start to yeah, that was a we that was a very meandering episode, but whatever. I hope that was interesting, everybody. What, what was your week like, Mango? Uh, it was pretty all right. Um, so I didn't end up playing a ton of games just because um, my family visited me. Um, I watched some hockey, which was uh, which was interesting. I watched the Frozen. I watched two of the three games of the Frozen Four, um, which is the big NCAA. Uh, uh, final tournament. It's kind of like in parallel to March Madness, but it's hockey soon. Less people care. Um, the the thing that was most notable to me about that game, like um, not not to do with like the game itself, just because like it's it's hockey. If you like hockey, it's decent hockey. Um, uh, I mean, so actually, but before I before I talk about that, I, I do think that there's something interesting to be said about like college sports are different. Like, obviously, they're different from professional sports, but they're interesting because you are in some part watching them because you know they are not as good as professionals. And so you get to see like a little bit more rough edge. And that's like interesting in a lot of ways. I know that bas college basketball is particularly popular, um, especially when compared to its professional uh, counterparts, just because like the flaws kind of make it more interesting. Um, yeah, this is famously also true. Uh, I used to go watch the new the Newark Bears all the time. You know, the Newark oh, Bears man. were just a couple uh, train stops down. It was $7 to get a ticket. Uh, the stadium, you're right there, right? Uh, and the games are really interesting and fun because, you know, somebody somebody once told me that the f the flaw in baseball is that a baseball game played perfectly has no action, right? Yeah. Because a pitcher perf uh, the perfect game is a pitcher just gets strikes it out every time, At no nobody matters except for the pitcher and the batter, right? And I guess technically like the catcher, right? Um, and I, I'm just thinking of the of the discussion we had about Harry Potter last week, um, about like nobody matters. Oh, about Quidditch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, baseball is kind of like that, right? Yeah, like baseball has um, uh, it has this sort of end state. It actually reminds me a little bit of StarCraft Two, right? We've talked about how StarCraft Two kind of um, the, the more RTS has got refined the more narrow they become because the only thing that mattered was APM, right. right? At the end of the day, StarCraft II just became a game that measured APM and the person who had more APM won. And that's not an interesting or compelling way to design, you know, a game. Um, and um, and I think baseball has a, has a similar sort of thing. The more we have perfected the baseball, the more boring it is, right? But going to a AAA baseball game where people are, you know, the... There's a lot of walks. There's a lot of, 
base hits. There's a lot of stealing bases that doesn't work out. It's just like, it is a game which is less serious, uh, and therefore there's just like more fuck-ups, and the fuck-ups are what make it fun. So I absolutely feel that about college sports, you know, college basketball, you know, et cetera. You know the New York Bears Stadium isn't there anymore, right? <gasps> no, what happened? I mean, apparently it, it was like always like a financial failure. Like I remember when they built it, but like my, like because we I drove past it recently or drove past. So it is that is the exit that like brings you into the Ironbound. Like I my family would mm -hmm. go to dinner to like like we my family particularly likes Fornos of Spain, um, which is a restaurant in uh in yeah in, my family famously likes Iberian Peninsula. My dad now lives in the Ironbound district. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. I I I've been to I. My family didn't particularly like. Is it, is it Iberian? I thought it was Siberia, but whatever it was, it might just be called Iberia. Iberia yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple different like there's like a couple churrascarias in there too that are very good. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Pro tips from uh, for dining from the the alternate food universe of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the food, yeah, the food podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Our favorite restaurants in the Ironbound District of Newark. Yeah. Um, but uh, but like apparently like it was supposed to be like this big project to like revitalize part of that area and it just like never like it never took off right like it was always a financial failure um uh, but yeah well rest in pepperonis yeah to the to the, to the newark bears, bears. Yeah. but yeah so college sports i definitely feel that about college sports though i mean i'm not a sports guy in general so it'll never sort of really matter for yeah me, no we, we've, we've talked about maybe doing a sports episode at some point from like a game yeah i mean funnily enough hockey is a sport that i quite like and i specifically quite like watching it because i think hockey is this um the thing about hockey that really appeals to me is it is this uh, this cross, you know, uh, like this this crossroads of grace and like brutality that's neat. Yeah. Like these guys are are there's there's all this you know it's flow and it's speed or whatever, but then every once in a while somebody just gets like shoulder checked into the you know the boards and it's like oh fuck like you know. Uh. Although uh, although the game has become less about the force and more about the grace, um, that's in, true in the recent years. But you know that's that's fine. Anyway, the the point I was winding back to was besides the hockey, which was fun, um, was uh, so this is in this is in the TD Garden, which is like the Bruins' home stadium. I think it's also the Celtics' home stadium or the Celtics' um, uh, home stadium, uh, and uh, you know. As things are going on, like like in between, like when there's like a commercial break or whatever, they'll play like songs over the thing, or over like mm -hmm. through the stadium, right? And I promise you, it was like a fucking cartoon. They put on um, uh, "Ship It Up to Boston," and like the fucking stadium just erupts, right? As if like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like this is this is not real. It was like it was like you know any meme you could make about it was true. It was like, uh, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, I recommend, uh, like, I mean, the food prices were bad, but that's any stadium. Uh, I recommend games at the TD Garden, I guess. Um, the other thing is I kind of, I, you know, I've never really done LA sports, right? Like I've never done Dodger stadium, never been to the, it is no longer the Lakers or it's no longer the Staples center. It is now, I think it's the crypto.com. Oh, is it really center now? They just, it, it got but renamed, it's, but it's, it's the same building, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is now the crypto.com arena. Hate that. Like <laughs> hate it more than Staples. Uh yeah, it's true. I mean, I don't really give a f the Staples Center just sort of rolled off the tongue in a way that was that was fine, but 
I, okay, sure. The crypto.com arena. Here we are. Uh, the year of our Lord. <laughs> um, I've never been to, uh, they call it the freeway series, right? There's the subway series, which is the Mets versus the Yankees. The, the freeway series is the Anaheim angels versus the LA Dodgers. Um, never been to an LA Kings game, uh, which I don't even know where they play. I know they, they actually practice very near us, uh, cause the LA Lakers and the LA Kings have this, uh, this like kind of compound that's like a mile from my house, but yeah, don't you yeah, live near the never... or maybe you moved since then? But didn't you live near the new the newish Rams stadium, the LA Rams? Oh yeah, the L- the Rams stadium is also like a mile from our house. So I have also never done the Rams, right? Um, and they just won the fucking Super Bowl, I guess. Uh, so 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 something to know if you ever decide you want to something that I can, this is a thing that I can say that I hated about this. Um, you're a big person. I'm a bigger person. Um, the kind of cheap seats I don't fit in <laughs> like straight up, like, like, you know, like I, I fit, like I fit in them, but I like, am so like broad shouldered that like, like I, it was me, my dad, and my brother, and none of us are small people. And just kind of like <laughs> in the seats, which was not fun, sure. but you know, that, that's, uh, that's, I guess how it goes. Um, well, you know, I think it's a cool thing to do. Like I, I am like, I'm not a big fan of watching baseball, but I do like occasionally going to a live game just because I think it's neat. I actually kind of like baseball more because you can like bullshit during the game and it's not like you're missing it, right? Like there's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, it's relatively slow. It, and so that's, I don't particularly like watching it on television, but I do like going to games. Like I went to a Braves game a handful of years ago in Atlanta, which was a lot of fun. Um, uh, also, because there's so many baseball games, you can occasionally get decent seats for like not a ton of money. Unlike say mm-hmm. football where it's like, you know, there's like 13 games and so, you know, you're. Yeah, I mean, I, it is literally an order. It's like an order of magnitude more baseball games, right? The baseball season is hundreds of games. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. yeah. Um, it's like a hundred and something. Yeah, and uh, hockey's also a lot of games, uh, but like you know, football is the only one where you do like one game and, and one and it's done. Um, but uh, but yeah, other one hundred and sixty-two th- games is a season of baseball. Wow, that's a lot of baseball. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, other than that, I did see the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, it was not initially playing in my local theater, but then I found out that it's like is playing a very limited run like this week. So I went yesterday when I had like a spare moment, um, and I thought that was very good. Um, it's it's interesting because I think it kind of fits into this kind of like reaches for the you know shoots for the moon and kind of like messes a little bit on the implementation. But I still thought it was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a kind of like it's interesting because there's like a handful of films kind of in this, in this kind of like very specific theming of like you know, Asian family dynamics um, that obviously I can't directly relate to because I'm not an Asian person. Um, very also similar to I guess Turning Red, um, which has its other metaphors. But um, uh, I think there's enough there that like a, a, a neutral audience can also hold on to it. Um, it's very kind of like 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 I think the theming's a little bit confused, but I think it's ultimately good. Um, it's kind of like very probably a rejection of nihilism at its core, um, which I think is, which I think is handled really well. Um, and isn't just kind of like a, like, I think there is a good exploration of the whole theme without it just kind of being like, and nihilism is bad, which you can kind of like fall into. Like that's like a, you know, uh, a kind of way to fall into it. But I, I would highly recommend it to, to anybody. It's an A24 film. Um, I think they do some very interesting stuff with the cinematography. Uh, although I'm no expert in that in in, in, in that arena, um, 
I can't believe I wasted one of my like free movie tickets this month on fucking Morbius. The what the movie that I really want to see is Ambu L A Ants, which is uh, the new Michael Bay movie that everyone on Twitter says is really good. Which is like I have been living for this moment, right? Like I I have never wanted something more in my fucking life than for Michael Bay to make a you know, a mid-budget action movie that is unfiltered, you know, like, unbound by franchise or VFX and uh, and it to be good, right? Like, this is the perfect Michael Bay sort of movie. Plus, it features uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and um, Yaha Abdul, uh, God, what is his name? Uh, it's the guy who played Aquaman. It's the guy who played Black Manta in Aquaman. Um, but I just think that I... I I just want I just want that movie because I think you know obviously I think Michael Bay is a is a is a good talented director uh, when he does movies that are made for him. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm, and this sounds perfect for that. I'm very much looking forward to Sonic, which unfortunately I couldn't see last week, which is why we're doing this episode instead of the Sonic Two episode. Yeah, that's I've true. heard good things about that. I hear it's more of the first one, which honestly has me excited. Um, I am also sort of excited, especially because this looks like maybe outside of like maybe outside of Warcraft, I would say the most authentically like video game aesthetic movie, right? Of just like balls to the wall, absolutely unhinged high fantasy, right? Yes. Like on screen compared to the first one, which was like relatively contained, you know, all things considered. Yeah. Um, well, just to just to finish my thoughts out on everything, everywhere, all at once, I, I realized I didn't kind of like give you a, a base plot thing. So, like, um, essentially, it's 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 very science fiction. It's this woman who runs a laundromat with her husband, gets contacted by an alternate universe version of her husband, um, and uh, needs to like do like needs to do some like her brain needs to do some universe hopping to like save the world or something like that. Um, and uh, it's very like I said, it's very very good. Um, it's got some interesting it's, – it's one of those things where, like, again, like shooting for the moon is, like, if you think about it too hard, some of the things don't make sense, but just don't think about it too hard, and I think you'll be fine. And I think it's definitely worth a watch. So I would say Everything Everywhere All at Once gets two thumbs up from Mango. Uh, buddy, how was your week? Oh, man. You know, honestly, what did I even do this week? I wanted to play Total War Warhammer 3, but I kind of, like, never got around to it. I have, like, been weirdly going apeshit for Legendaries and WoW because they're selling, like, hotcakes, and I'm just, like, really deep in that economy. And I feel bad because, like, you know, one, one of the things about WoW's game design is that it is servicing a, a zillion different types of players, right? Like, Empress players are different than PvPers, they're different than Raiders, whatever else. Um... And legendaries are a pain point for a lot of players in in Warcraft, right? Because they are really expensive to buy them off the auction house. But as a crafter, I don't think I have ever been happier, right, playing the game. And I don't think I've ever really, like, felt like the master blacksmith that I am because I can make these incredibly, you know, uh, powerful items. Um than than right now and uh and it kind of comes at the ex like my my enjoyment as a player kind of comes at the expense of the frustration of all of the people i'm selling legendaries to for huge profit margins but also just like that's kind of the point and i'm not gonna apologize for having fun um uh but yeah besides that i did play a bunch of elden ring and um did i tell you where where was the last point i i got off before 
we we continued talking about Elden Ring. I think you were you were heading into the academy because you wanted to get your your katana at the top. Okay, of the I got so I got my special sword that I was looking for, my new katana, and I was heading into the academy. Yeah, so I headed into the academy. The academy's easy as fuck. I couldn't believe I was like I I I just have done this wrong. I guess I think. Um, I went into the academy and. At the top of the academy is a wolf boss that took me two tries, right? Like the like once I figured out to dodge, he has these um these like blue knives that that strike out at you or whatever. Once I figured out how to dodge those, I was I was solid for for forever. I had I had no further issues with um uh with that boss, which literally was like the second um the second try. Though I did have a couple of issues with a couple of rooms where like those mages are casting, to, you know, to kind of too quickly in um in succession and then i eventually got to a place where i didn't know where to go in the academy right so i started go and i remembered there was that lift right and i was like oh well maybe i can go to that lift and go down right and there'll be something at the bottom and sure enough yes there was something at the bottom it was that crystal it was that abductor guy and he sucked me into into volcano manor which which sucked which continues to suck and maybe i'll i don't know maybe i'll figure some way out of it i i'm at a weird spot i think it's because i got the sword the thing i was very animated to play elden ring because i wanted to get the better longer katana right and now that i have that katana i'm sort of out of it right like i don't have i don't have a real goal anymore um and so uh, maybe that's part of why, like, the frustration of ending up in Volcano Manor, like, got to me in this in this particular way. Yeah, I mean, part of, part of so I think you just kind of also went the wrong way. Like, going down is, is like, a neat thing to do because of that particular encounter. Um, but, like... Did I beat the Academy? Is the wolf just the end of the Academy? No, no, no. So there's, like, a courtyard after the wolf, right? Yeah. Do you, you know... That, and, did, and, I, and, I, and I killed everything in that courtyard... And I went up onto the roofs, and then I did all this stuff on the roofs, and then I ended back in this cathedral, and I couldn't figure out what else to do. There's I couldn't a staircase to off go. to the right that you have to jump onto. Like, in that courtyard, there's a big staircase off to the right that you can, like, walk over to on, like, a spindly part. Oh, you're right. That's where you go. And up, huh. up there is, like... I didn't like, think about that. Yeah, up, up there is the is way more to, stuff? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah and... and <laughs> will we ever get back there? Who knows, yeah. right? Like, it's honestly interesting because I am I am now doing a little bit more weapon switching, right? I'm switching between Godric's Godric's axe and the and the katana. And the funny thing is, I am now pumping my arcane because when you get that katana, you also get this I don't know blade thing. But you, in and and I think it keys off of bleeds, which I think is neat. Um, uh, my new katana is very good at bleeds, by the way, which is part also why I think it's a lot of fun to use it. Um, but the uh, but now I'm just pumping my arcane because once I get to 19 arcane, I can wield this um, whatever the thing was. Like the person that I had to kill in order to get the long the long katana um, also gave me this other cool bleed weapon, and now I want to try that out. And it puts me in this weird position of like, you know, when we were doing Grime, there was a huge, uh, people really wanted the ability to test weapons and respect their character, right? And I now understand what they were feeling, right? Like at the time in Grime, that did not bother me at all. I thought that was, I was, 
it just wasn't something I was concerned with, right? Like we would eventually implement like respecking stuff, which I think was the right choice, but I just was not the kind of player that that bothered me. Uh, but the more constrained um, requirements to wield these weapons by using intelligence, arcane, faith, or whatever, rather than just in in grime, it's really just strength or dex, right? Do you want to go strength? Do you want to go dex? Um, has has sort of changed my approach quite a lot. Yeah, uh, and hey, and if you want to respec, going up the staircases where you unlock the ability to respec in uh, in Elden Ring. I didn't even know you could respec. Yeah. I actually, that's not true. I did know because I saw a Twitter thread about it where somebody said that it was too easy to respec in Elden Ring. They wished it was harder and there was more friction involved. I mean, you have to. There's only like so many of like the like you have to have an item. It's like the larval teal. You might have run into one of them. It's, it looks like like a placenta. Um, uh, and once you beat the the enemy at the top of the stairs, you'll uh, you'll you'll figure it out. But uh, that's uh, that's where you respec uh, if you want to. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I, um. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you, oh, do I was just gonna say. Like, I think it's like hard enough. Like, it's it's one of those things. Where, like, I think there's like maybe 13 or 14 of those items, which is like enough to like fool around if you want to fool around, but not so many that you just can kind of like do it on a whim, right? So okay. yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean that was the thing in um, that was how we did respects in in Grime, right? Like you had to have a special item in order to uh, in order to do your uh, in order to do your respect. The other thing that I want to talk about in my week is uh, is Gay Pirates. Do you know the show Gay Pirates? It's not called that. Oh, is it's it called is, Our Flag Means Death? Is, is this like the uh, like the New Zealand like Taiki Watiti? Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. It is very good, and I like it a lot. Uh, I watched the first two episodes with Rachel at the beginning of last, like, week or whatever. And it was just the... And the first two episodes were, like, fine. They were funny, and I was kind of on board. But I felt very let down because everyone advertises this show as gay pirates, and I really wanted there to be gay pirates. And let me fucking tell you, this show gets so gay in like episode like four or five that it blew my mind and i love every second of it like you know like it is uh it's weird because you know like i'm obviously not a do you know about slash fiction do you know like i'm i'm aware of what slash fic is it's uh yeah to explain what slash fic is to people it is um it is fan fiction that is typically written by women that is placing two men in a relationship slash fic doesn't have to be homosexual but it, it typically is because it's like teen girl fantasy but like yeah like the genesis of slash fic is spock and kirk fan fiction right, well, right? it's like which was it's x slash y that's what the slash fic is right and like, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. which is which is the denotation in fan fiction right for a ship right which is like a yeah. relationship between two characters spock slash kirk is 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 like slash fic or whatever and i can absolutely see how this was made for the slash fic audience because it is just like it's ridiculous how much this show is built for people who like slash fic and want to Right, you know, like write slash fic, right? Um, the the famous the famous one from the early aughts is called Super Hulak, which was a combination of Supernatural, Doctor Who, and the BBC Sherlock series with Benedict Cumberbatch and um, 
uh, Martin Freeman, uh, and those were dominated by by slash fix. In in Supernatural, it was um, Castiel and not Dean, but the other Sam. No, maybe it was Dean. I've never watched Dean any Schiffer of these shows. And, and so. Yeah, so that was the, the the big one, and like the big one in Sherlock was uh, John Locke, which was the the slash fic of John Watson getting together with Sherlock at like the end of the show, at the end of the show. So much, and so much was that slash fic like a part of people's brains that they created an entire conspiracy about not only was john locke like the 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 relationship that they liked but it was also going to become canon by the end of the show and they were like decoding hints to prove it and that kind of thing ascended fan um, yeah, yeah 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 that kind of thing it was obviously not true at all by the way that did not fucking happen and the end of sherlock by the way is another ending that also sucked and removed you know talking about game of thrones right like it is it was another ending that i have not watched an episode of sherlock since this fourth season because it sucked so bad and was so awful um i was under the impression that it wasn't very good in the first place like i have I've, it was i've basically seen like that mind palace meme <clears throat> where he's like like shoving words around and it like doesn't make any like that it, it doesn't feel very that didn't feel very sherlock holmes to me as kind of a fan of some of the stories but you know yeah so uh it's not it really is not um but the first two seasons legitimately like set up a neat kind of mystery, right? And had like and watching those was a great experience. It's it was it's sort of one of those rickety roller coaster things, right? Like you don't realize it until the ride is over how how kind of yeah you know, like scotch taped together the whole thing was. But anyway, in the in the last episode of the second season, Sherlock jumps off of a building, right? Um and uh and John Watson watches him die. He watches him commit suicide cuz Moriarty has tricked Sherlock into this position where the only thing that he can do to, I think, save someone's life w is to kill himself. It's to jump off the. It's to jump off the building. At the end of that episode, it shows John at Sherlock's grave, and then it shows Sherlock in the distance watching John. Right, and the showrunners perpetuated this as like a mystery, as like a as like a thing that can be solved if you only pay attention to the right clues. You can you can figure it out, right? And then the first episode of the third season is basically a giant trolling, mean spirited shitpost about those theories because John realizes that Sherlock is alive. Right. There's all of these theories in the show that are that are pitched by crackpots about who. How did Sean? How did how did how did Sherlock live? How did how did John not see it? What what was the what was like the missing piece or whatever? And then later in the episode, John, Sherlock sits down with John Watson. And Sherlock begins to explain how he faked his death. And John slams his hand on the table and goes, I don't care. I don't care how you did it. I care why. Why didn't you tell me, right? Uh, which basically just means that the answer is fuck you. You don't get to know. I would say like, they never explain this. That's... It is the most mean-spirited fucking thing to like tease your fans that there is an explanation for this and then have one of your characters lambast the audience essentially for wanting an, an answer to the mystery of how someone faked their death in the mystery television i was gonna show. say like in in the fucking like that's the whole point of these of of, of like the, the genre 
Right. It is legitimately nuts to me how hard they went, right, to to uh, obscure, right, to obscure uh, the the answer to the Sherlock mystery. Well, I'm glad I didn't watch it then. I guess. Yep. And wait, yep. and you watched for like a full two seasons after that happened. Yeah, but at that point, it was mostly morbid curiosity. I was fully on team. This show sucks. At the end of this, th- or at the end of the first episode of the third season, right? Like that was such a fuck you that I thought it was so awful. But you know, I was just kind of long for the ride. <laughs> why? Why not? Right. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess. Uh, you know, I I'm not gonna argue with that. And by the way, the rest of the show is a buck wild and also very bad. I would recommend, uh, there's, a, you know, the, the big H bomber guy video that blew up. I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, uh, was Sherlock is bad. And here's why he does a very good job of explaining why Sherlock is in fact a bad show. Oh, you know what, you know, you know what that reminds me of just because H bomber guy featured in one of the reviews, um, is when we were, this is a callback to like the main episode content, but like, uh, Mandalore, did a full review, soup to nuts, technical to gameplay to theming, um, to sound design on Total Warhammer Three, on release because he got early access to the game. Like <coughs> it wasn't as long as his Total Warhammer Two review, which is the one that H Bomber guy featured in. Um, mm. Absolutely. So people at home that don't know, in he did like a like it was like a two hours long or something like that. Total Warhammer Two review. And H. Bomber Guy played the voice of the High Elves, and Seth Dezinch played the voice of the Dark Elves. And that is the most brilliant thing in the world, if you know who those two people are. Um, and um, <laughs> um, and the Total War Warhammer 3 review wasn't as long, just because, like, it also wasn't a production. But it, it, it had a lot of those stu- that things in it. But, like, you know, it was, like, and so, like, that's, like, the only thing I could think of that would, like, hit that kind of, like, all of this, everything, everything all at once, right, to, to call back to, to the movie. But, uh, yeah. No, it yeah. was, it was, uh, I just wanted to mention that. But anyway, um, do you want to talk about anything else for your week or should, or should we wrap this up? I don't think I want to talk about anything else so we can wrap up. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to talk to us about any of the things that we talked about on this episode, you can reach us at, email, at, at gmail.com or podcast at com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash games. These episodes go out live and you can ask us questions there too. Um, as you might've heard, we were interacting with Arahe in the in the chat um follow us on youtube where i post recordings of this when i remember to uh which is not always just bad on my part um but you can also find us in all the podcatchers that that exist um uh i think uh, you can support us on patreon if you really feel like it that's everything i have buddy you have anything else you want to promote uh i have nothing else i'm looking to promote well in that case i'm going to say until next time dear listeners until next time loyal listeners <laughs>